This is Hip Hop Raise Me the Blog.com, where we celebrate 48 years of the younger genre of music. I'm talking about hip hop, y'all. Where it's about the knowledge, the culture, and the lifestyle. My name is CEO Dream. Welcome to Hip Hop Raise Me. Good morning. Easter deal. Like to welcome y'all to another episode of Hip Hop Raise Me the Blog.com, the podcast on Spotify and Anchor. Beautiful Tuesday morning. You know, forecast says in New York 51 degrees and 40 degrees later on today. And it's going to be kind of cloudy, you know. It's kind of nice for this winter, but also still want to dress warm because you do not want to go out there and catch that bug. Also, I encourage y'all to mask up because they say the cases are skyrocketing out here. You know, ain't it kind of weird that the whole country is sick or the whole world is sick almost at the same time? You know, um conspiracies saying that they spray something in the air but I have no proof so I can't even speak on it you know but with that being said I'm gonna leave y'all with the news and trending topics so with Remy and Cassidy you know be on the lookout for our episode of interviews with CEO Dream coming on tonight 8 o'clock sharp tune in subscribe hit the notification bell on the way in share with your friends and um let's get to these news and trending topics Rapper The Game is accused of blowing off yet another court hearing in his never-ending battle with his alleged sexual assault, Priscilla Rainey. According to court documents obtained by Radar, a Los Angeles Superior Court judge granted a recent motion by Rainey seeking to seize his profits from the website, Cameo. The Game has been making a pretty penny on the website which allows fans to buy customized videos from their favorite celebrity. In a recent motion, Rainey claimed the rapper had made nearly $20,000 on Cameo from October 29, 2020 and January 28, 2021. Financial records showed Cameo transferred over $19,000 to the game for videos he completed. The statements show he was filming multiple videos per day and taking home over a grand on certain dates. She claims the profits were sent to a new company created by the game called F12 and Associates, LLC. The judgment debtor apparently created a new company account to deposit his income in what appears to be a concerted attempt to hinder or delay plaintiff's judgment enforcement efforts, her attorney claims. Rainey pleaded with the court to allow her to seize all money the game makes from Cameo in the future. 
She said he has not paid off the $7 million he owes her. A jury awarded Rainey the massive judgment as part of a civil trial. She sued the game accusing him of sexually assaulting her on the set of his VH1 reality dating show She's Got Game in 2016. Rainey claims during production the game showed up to a date high on alcohol and drugs. At dinner, the alleged victim claims the rapper assaulted her by forcefully reaching his hand inside her dress to rub her bare vagina and buttocks. Rainey has only recovered only $293,902.29 and is still owed $7,375,551.25. The judgment continues to grow with interest due to the game's refusal to pay it off. The judge warned the rapper in the order writing, failure by defendant to comply with this order may subject him to contempt of court proceedings. Kanye West and Kim Kardashian might have called it quits on the marriage front, but that didn't stop Kanye from dropping a few millions of dollars on a home insanely close to Kim. According to a report from the Daily Mail on Monday, December 27, not only did Kanye purchase a home across the street from his estranged wife and their four children, but he paid above market price to ensure he wasn't outbid by any other potential buyers. Yeezy cashed out $4.5 million, $421,000 above asking price, on a 3,651-square-foot, five-bedroom, three-and-a-half-bathroom home in Los Angeles Hidden Hills a short walking distance away from Kim, who is currently dating Saturday Night Live comedian Pete Davidson. The abode sits on over an acre of land and comes equipped with an outdoor swimming pool and a horse corral with a stable for three horses. However, the interior appears to be outdated, so the home may need to be renovated, the news of Kanye closing on his new home comes days after a fan spotted Kim K and Pete Davidson at movie theater at Staten Island, New York, and bravely vocalized that Kim is better off with Yee. A notion that Kim Kardashian clearly doesn't agree with as she filed documents earlier this month to officially be considered single amid her divorce. The Hidden Hills, California, home that Kim Kardashian and the kids live in was purchased by herself and Kanye back in 2014. However, she is now the sole owner of the property, which was purchased for $20 million, underwent $20 million in renovations and is now worth a reported $60 million. Multiple property owner Kanye has reportedly listed his Los Angeles area bachelor pad for $3.7 million and purchased a massive oceanfront mansion in Malibu for nearly $60 million back in September. Whether or not Kanye buying this home is an act in seamless co-parenting or a move to repair his irretrievably broken marriage, as said in reports regarding Kim's divorce filing, is unclear. Kim K filed for a legal separation from Kanye West back in February. HipHopRaisedMethatBlog.com has reached out to reps for Kanye West and Kim Kardashian for comment. Check out the proximity of Kim and Kanye's homes, and images of Yee's new real estate purchase below. Greater than view this post on Instagram. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than a post shared by Townsquare, at Musician Real Estate. Greater than view this post on Instagram. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than a post shared by at Clive.
has been more than six years since Khalif Browder killed himself. His suicide galvanized the public, the press, activists, experts, advocates, politicians and others to demand the closure of Rikers Island, permanently, no more reforms. The jail's problems and suffering they caused were too enormous to fix. Yet the jails continue to operate, trapping thousands who've been convicted of no crime in horrendous conditions which have deteriorated with COVID-19. Indeed, the jail system is setting a record in 2021, the highest in-custody death toll since 2013, now at 16. This extraordinary moment calls for someone else to be put in charge, an extraordinary intervention known as a receivership. The political process, including and especially court orders directed at government officials, has failed. For six years, federal judge Laura T. Swain has attempted through various means, including court order and appointment of a monitor, to marshal New York City to undo the scandalously unconstitutional conditions on Rikers. And for six years at nearly every turn, the city has not complied with the judicial mandates. Mayor-elect Eric Adams, it's true, has pledged to shut down Rikers for good, so too has the city council. But that pledge, if it comes true, will take several years to materialize. What of the people who are subject to the revolting conditions until then? Receiverships are designed for situations like this. When a local or state government proves unable or unwilling to improve a distressed public institution that has long defied federal law, a federal court can take the troubled entity out of the government's hands and appoint a receiver, a nonpartisan expert, to assume direct control, with an eye towards reform. Receivers inherit complex, intractable problems. Which is why judges grant them wide latitude to fashion solutions. Receivers can fire and hire personnel, often the only way to eliminate entrenched dysfunction that new jails alone can't address. And they set and control their own budgets, based on what's needed. That freedom from bureaucratic morass is partly why receivers, answerable only to the court, usually make progress where agencies simply can't. After a receiver brings an institution up to constitutional snuff, control returns to the state or locality. To take an example, for decades, high suicide rates, widespread tuberculosis, and reprehensible AIDS treatment besieged the District of Columbia Jail. And for more than 20 years, federal judge William B. Bryant tried through court orders to improve circumstances. But he failed. D.C. leaders disregarded his orders. The officials, to Bryant's mind, just didn't give a damn. So believing he had no choice, in July 1995, he ordered the jail's medical and psychiatric system into a receivership. Bryant gave the receiver, Dr. Ronald Shansky, a former medical jail director of Cook County, Illinois. Sweeping powers, the same as those possessed by the mayor, jail director and other municipal officials. Shansky at the outset had a robust, detailed blueprint for bettering the jail. And understanding that court involvement of this staggering variety couldn't last indefinitely, Bryant set the receivership to expire after five years. This was strong medicine, yes, but five years delivered some rock-solid improvements. Suicide stopped. Tuberculosis was controlled. And new medical staff and equipment were saving lives. DC isn't alone. Since the 1970s, judges have resorted to receiverships to pull some of the nation's worst of the worst prisons and jails in line with the Constitution. After six years of non-compliance with his orders, federal judge Frank M. Johnson Jr. in 1976 ordered a receiver for Alabama's entire prison system. And despite some initial resistance, 13 years later, the prison showed remarkable enhancements in security, healthcare and education. And back in 1989 in Michigan, State Judge Richard Kaufman placed Wayne County's jail into a receivership, which remedied unsanitary conditions, improved food and discharged incompetent leadership. Rikers is ripe for a receivership. Without more aggressive judicial treatment, if history is any guide, 
officials will keep flouting court directives. That will keep causing needless human suffering, even death. To be sure, a receivership won't cure every ill, and once its strictures come off, the municipality might well backslide. So, for instance, although Shansky made admirable progress, the same degree of dignity-shattering depravity that once beset the D.C. jail has since returned with spectacular vengeance, though today's problems are different. And last year, the U.S. Department of Justice sued Alabama for myriad unconstitutional prison conditions. But the point of a receivership isn't to cure everything. It is a tourniquet for flagrant constitutional abuse when all other solutions have fallen short. And when receiverships stop institutional bleeding, it's ultimately up to us, the people, working through our political representatives, to never again permit unabated cruelty to carry the day in our names. Griefwin Aerobics is transforming how people think about fitness one step at a time, literally. Founded by a 27-year-old, Bronx, New York, native, and Garifuna American dance instructor and influencer Arnold G.T. Martinez, Garifuna Aerobics is becoming a cultural stamp for his community. The Garifuna people are a mixed African and indigenous people who originally lived on the Caribbean island of St. Vincent and speak Garifuna, an Arawakan language, and Vincentian Creole, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. After discovering his admiration for dance at the age of 12, D.T. Martinez began his journey as a dancer at the Wabafu Garifuna Dance Theater located in the Bronx. Later he would join the Chief Joseph Chadler Dance Company, where he has been dancing for over the last 10 years. I felt like I was holding in so much talent, and it needed to be shared with the world. I felt like I had a calling, and I needed to respond, D.T. Martinez told HipHopRaisingTheFeblog.com. Unknowingly, his passion for dance coupled with his desire to make a difference in his community would be enough to inspire him to create what is now, Garifuna. Robics. When I started Garifuna Robics, I did not have a complete, clear vision of what Garifuna Robics was going to be about. I just knew that I needed to do something. I did not have a blueprint. However, I was very adamant to name it Garifuna Robics. I wanted to make sure Garifuna was in there, in the name, so when you hear about the Garifuna, and you don't know what it is, you can hear it in the name, E.T. Martinez stated. Created in 2018, this new approach to fitness is infused with different genres of Garifuna music incorporated with a variety of traditionally influenced dance styles, ultimately creating the concept of Garifuna-style workout. E.T. Martinez saw an opportunity to remove the stigma associated with mental and physical wellness within the community and join the effort to preserve the 400-year-old traditions like the trailblazers before him by educating the youth about the importance of self-identity. I definitely feel like we are in a culture crisis right now, and it makes me very nervous because when it comes down to our spirituality and our customs, I don't see who is going to be able to do a dugu, an ancestral ceremony, to full capacity. As a Garifuna, you should know where you come from, and you should know your culture because once you have that identity, no one can take that from you. Identity is important for self-esteem and for oneself, E.T. Martinez said. Now, he intends to continue telling the story about the resilience and strength of the Garifuna people through Garifuna aerobics, serving as a medium where culture and health can eloquently coincide together. Once again, J Balvin has found himself in controversy after accepting the award for Best Afro-Latino Artist of the Year. The award, given by the African Entertainment Awards, has drawn harsh criticism from fans both against J Balvin for accepting the award and the organization for giving him the award. 
The African Entertainment Awards began in October 2015. According to the website, AUZA was established in New Jersey to celebrate and uplift African entertainment. The nonprofit organization serves as a platform to showcase an Africa that is united, self-sufficient, and willing, and able to evoke social change that matters to African communities worldwide. Greater than Jbalvin won an award on blackness by using black Caribbean music, dialect, rhythms and wardrobe. While actual black folks who have higher streaming numbers, better lyricism, better everything and who are actually black lost. Greater than. Greater than Nina Vasquez, at Nina VZQZ23, December 27, 2021. Jay Baldwin celebrated the win with a now-deleted Instagram post. The backlash against the award was swift and evidently enough to make the artist delete their post on social media. People quickly took to social media to voice their disbelief that Jay Baldwin would take an award made for Afro-Latinos. Greater than gonna need the African Entertainment Awards to gatekeep blackness a little more cause how TF they gave Jay Baldwin white as shit ass a Afro-Latino Artist of the Year Award. Sesha and Ozuna are right there? And are actually black? Greater than. Greater than not is peace, Hispanic, at bad underscore Dominicana, December 27, 2021. Greater than 1. The at IA underscore USA don't have black Latinos in their committee. Greater than 2. Balvin missed his opportunity to reject this award. Greater than 3. Balvin should have used his voice to speak on why he should have never been nominated or passed the mic to a black person, who knows how to speak on this greater than 4. I'm tired. Greater than. Greater than reggaeton con LA Gata, at Reggaeton Scotta, December 27, 2021. Some people are calling on the Elza to do a better job than gatekeeping black awards for black people and artists. There were Afro-Latino artists included in the category, yet they lost out to J Balvin, and people are confused about why that was even allowed to happen. Greater than view this post on Instagram. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than a post shared by African Entertainment Awards USA, at Elza. Elza responded to the backlash in an Instagram video claiming that the award is not intended solely for Afro-Latino artists. Instead, the organization is claiming through a spokesperson that the award is intended for anyone contributing to Afrobeat music and creating a bridge between Africa and Latin America. It is not based on race but more importantly based on pushing the African culture forward on the world stage, read the caption. Please remember the nominees in this category had no say in their nomination or influence on the award show. Instead of voicing dissatisfaction, let us encourage these artists to continue bridging the gap between Africa and Latin America. Going off the comments on this post, people are not impressed with the organization's response. A shooting spree that began in Denver Monday evening and ended up in the nearby city of Lakewood left five people dead, including the suspect, and three wounded, including a police officer, CBS Denver reports. Police said the gunman managed to elude officers twice. It wasn't immediately clear what his motive might have been. Denver Police Chief Paul Pazin told reporters shots were fired at four locations in his city. According to Denver Police, two women were killed and a man wounded at one of them near the downtown area. Then the body of a man who'd been shot to death was found in a park. Officers responded to what they thought was a shots fired call at a third location. Then officers found the vehicle they believed was involved and chased it. Shots were exchanged but, authorities said, the suspect disabled a police vehicle and fled to Lakewood. A police spokesperson there, John Romero, told reporters a fourth person was fatally shot in a business by the man believed to be the Denver gunman. 
officers found the suspect's vehicle in the Belmar shopping area, and when they tried to approach him, he shot at officers, who returned fire. The suspect got away on foot. Police say the suspect then committed felony menacing at a store. Then the suspect went into the Hyatt House Hotel, where he allegedly shot one person, who was rushed to a hospital. Police didn't have information about that victim. Officers then confronted the suspect again outside the hotel and, they say, he shot at them, hitting one, who was in surgery in unknown condition. The suspect died at that scene. Lakewood police say they don't know if he died by officer's gunfire or his own. One woman told CBS Denver she was in an Xfinity store when shots could be heard. We were just in there, my husband and I. You could hear the popping outside. It was like one shot and then maybe five or six more and a couple more after that. Xfinity did an awesome job. They swooped us right inside. Got us in the back room and got the gates down. Fortunately, we didn't see too much. She also told the station two employees were hit with shrapnel. Legend Patti Smith, a rock and roll hall of famer and one of Rolling Stone's greatest artists ever, can add a new honor to the list, the key to New York City. Mayor Bill de Blasio, in his final week in office, gave Smith the ceremonial key during a news conference on Monday. The key resembles one used to lock the back door at City Hall, but the city is quick to note it's entirely ceremonial and doesn't actually work anywhere. She has done so much to light the way, and she has done it here in New York City, de Blasio said. She is the third person he has honored with a key in the last week, following filmmaker Spike Lee and Senator Chuck Schumer. After her remarks, de Blasio presented her a lit cupcake in honor of her 75th birthday this coming Thursday, prompting a beaming Smith to say I know that we don't work to gather accolades, but I'm the kind of person that if I get one, I really love it. Just a couple months ago, the Miami Dolphins looked like they had no shot at making the playoffs. Entering November, Miami was 1-7 and quarterback Tua Tagovailoa was dealing with numerous injuries, but Brian Flores' squad flipped a switch and are now on the brink of doing something no team has ever done. According to the Miami Herald, the Dolphins could become the first team in NFL history to reach the playoffs after losing seven of their first eight games. After the 1-7 start, the Dolphins have reeled off seven straight following their 20-3 victory over the Saints on Monday night. With the victory, the Dolphins moved to 8-7 and are now the number 7 seed in the AFC, which happens to be the final wild-card spot. Thanks to Miami's win, the Baltimore Ravens, 8-7, fall to the number 8 seed. They are followed by the Los Angeles Chargers, 8-7, and Las Vegas Raiders, 8-7. The Dolphins lost to the Raiders earlier this season but the Raiders lost to the Chargers, and Miami down Baltimore in Week 10. Grabbing a postseason spot with two weeks to play is impressive, but obviously the goal is securing a dance card. The Dolphins will likely have to also win their final two games against the Tennessee Titans and the New England Patriots to make the playoffs, but at this moment, they control their own destiny. And that concludes another episode of hiphopraisemetheblog.com the podcast with anchor and spotify news and trending topics i need you to tune in later on at 8 p.m when we'll be talking to the consumers of hip-hop the people we want to talk to the people we want to know 
with their likes and dislikes. We're going to talk to them and and give a first-hand account of what was the first song that made them fall in love with hip-hop and things of that sort. So I need you to tune in tonight at 8 p.m. when we start no series. Hit the notification bell, share with a friend. Let's get to it. This hip-hop raised me. This is Hip Hop Raise Me the Blog.com, where we celebrate 48 years of the younger genre of music. I'm talking about hip hop, y'all. Where it's about the knowledge, the culture, and the lifestyle. My name is CEO Dream. Welcome to Hip Hop Raise Me.